<laughs> okay, we have uh, we have Paul and Barnabas. They arrived at Pisidian Antioch. Paul was right in the midst of a sermon. That's where we cut off last week, somewhere around verse 22. Yeah, Barnabas. Oh, were we just using last week? Yeah, it's last week's okay. outline. I'm sorry. I, I didn't have anything. I just uh, made it simple and uh, say, let's go with last week's. Save a trick. And and after the sermon's over, shortly thereafter, the whole place is just going to blow up in a matter of a week or so. And that uh, kind of superficial peace that they had is just going to be thrown apart and chaos is going to result because um, there was a spark. And Paul seemed to uh, make a spark about everywhere he went. And uh, that right spark would just uh, explode. Paul is that one. And just about everywhere he went, he was a spark. And places exploded. Just one sermon, and this place blew up. And it's because Jesus is the very culmination of history. He's the apex. He is what everything is about. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. And it's Jesus who does that. And He is the justifier of sinners. Because of that message, that's what makes things blow up. It's the culmination of history. It's found in Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of prophecy is found in Jesus Christ. And then the justifier of sinners is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus, that name, many hate. They hate the idea of even sinners being justified in that way, or, or sinners, even hearing that word. So the Gospel is a shattering thing and it can uh, split families and it can split groups of people. It creates trouble sometimes. And of course, you know, you have the ecumenists today, the liberals who just want to get everybody together in the name of love and let's just, regardless of our differences, and they don't really have any differences because they really don't believe in anything, but let's just get together and uh, whatever. Uh, But... The guns were blazing in Antioch, uh, Pisidian Antioch, and Paul is firing away. Uh, his gun is loaded, and people are hitting the deck fast. Um, it's a really tough thing. I mean, it just blasts people out of their placid pool that they feel so comfortable in. And he comes bringing in some kind of news that is great news, good news but it doesn't um, always hit with people really well. There are varied reactions, and then some believe the message and become believers in Jesus Christ. But whenever we have that message, it will also become very volatile. And that's what we see again in uh, our Acts 13. I think we cut off last week around verse 22. And um, so far, they're following along with him. He's giving the history of the um, nation of Israel and how God has worked with them. And um, Of course, he went through um, all the way up to the, the prophets, or getting, getting in that area anyway. But Samuel the prophet had the judges, and then, of course, King Saul, and then he introduced King David. And, and they're going, yeah, yeah as he's preaching in the synagogue. They're agreeing right with him because he started off this uh, sermon of his, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers. And there wouldn't be any Jew there that would disagree with that. 
And so they're they're just giving amens everywhere right now. But as we get into the heart of this message and we get into the very focus of what it's all about, which is Christ, things will start to make people um, very upset. And uh, as as it goes through um, that time when they're at that at that particular synagogue and in that uh, city, the city in Antioch. So before we get ready to um, get into the text, there let's let's pray. Father, thank you for your gospel of good news. Thank you that that was brought forth to each one of us. Thank you that somebody was willing to share the good news with us. And it might have been over the course of many years, might have been uh, one time where we heard it, but you, uh, in your wise plan, you come to call your sheep. And you do it with your word, your truth. And as we once again see a message that is preached by the power of your Spirit and the very Word of God, that we would not let it just get old to us, but sink into our minds, into our hearts, even more than ever before, and that we can see the power of who you are and how you can be in our lives. And uh, just open us up and let us be in tune with you tonight, Lord, in uh, your Son's name. Amen. The uh, in in verse twenty two, he says, um, after he removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought Israel a Savior, Jesus. There he did it. He named him. Now, this is where this is going to get very interesting. He's going to continue to do this message, but now it's going to start clicking. Oh, this is where he's headed. And so, you know, he, he, everybody's attuned to him. They're, they're listening. And uh, we know that he's not only the culmination of history, but he is the fulfillment of prophecy. And, of course, he uses uh, David here. He quotes constantly out of that Old Testament. And, uh, of course, Jesus is the Messiah, is the prophecy. That's what it's about. That's where he's gearing to. Uh, there's no other message to give, is there? That's really where it, it has to head to. And um, so we're, we, we talked a little bit about David. And uh, God chose this man. God is running history, and uh, the people chose the first one, Saul. God chose and anointed David. And he was after his own heart because he desired to do his will. He obeyed. Uh, He did sin, but he sins like we all sin. But yet he repented, and he turned from his sin and his obedience. And, of course, we noted that Saul didn't do that. That was the difference. He didn't repent of the sin that he was. So he's a king, and God has designed this one to be um, kind of a focal point at that time because really it's going to be pointing to the seed of David. It's going to come through him now as he is in the kingly line. And of course, as prophecy builds and builds, as we go through the Old Testament, we get more and more of who the Messiah is. And we know he's going to come out of this nation. 
But now we get it even pinned down. He's going to come from this line of David. And the further we go, we'll see that um, throughout the Old Testament, uh, as prophecy points to him, uh, even tells where he's going to be from. Uh, you know, I mean, just details that uh, uh, nobody else, no other book can have. Um, anyway, he talks about David, and in 23, from the descendants of this man, from the very seed of David, according to promise. Now, this is a promise. The promise is found in the Old Testament. We can find a promise found in Second Samuel as God made a covenant with David. And you remember, there was an Abrahamic covenant. Then there was a Mosaic covenant dealing with the law. And then there is the Davidic covenant. And this is really a, a, a promise um, of course, all of these are good covenants coming from God, but when you think of the uh, unconditional covenant, you think of uh, Abraham, you think of this promise to David. In Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, we have David, and here David wanted to build a temple. And of course, at this time, through the prophet Nathan, uh, uh, David is declined in building the temple. It's going to be his son. But here's the covenant. Verse 12, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers when you die in the flesh, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. Now right off the bat, we know that he has a son by the name of Solomon who did become a king. And we see a little bit of Solomon in here in this prophecy but it's really pointing to the son of David as in the Messiah. Um, He'll come forth from you. I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That is based on him. I'll be a father to him. He'll be a son to me. And, of course, Jesus didn't commit iniquity. So we know here in this next sentence we get Solomon that's in here... uh, when he commits an I will correct him with the rod of men, the strokes of the sons of men, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. How can I do that? Through the Messiah. Your throne shall be established forever. How can that be? Through the Messiah, Christ. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So he gets God's very word right from the prophet, Nathan. And that's a promise. That's a great promise, isn't it? Real promise. Turn to Psalm 132, verse 11. So that kind of reiterates that um, as he had given a covenant to Abraham and then passed on to Isaac and then Jacob, and then now later we get this Davidic promise, we see that just expanding out. More detail. Psalm 132, 11 The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will sit upon your throne. So there, uh, something specific, as he mentions David, and then he's talking about the fruit of his body, he's talking about the throne, we've seen about the kingdom forever, uh, an eternal kingdom. That can only be Christ. So, 
There we have David, how God is working through there. The apex of history, the crowning event of history is pointing to uh, Jesus Himself. And so, as He uses David, they're going, yeah, yeah. And from the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, yes. And then the word Jesus is mentioned. He hits it. So, uh, I'm quite confident that many of them didn't really expect to hear that as they are going to this place that doesn't have a church yet, really hasn't been the gospel preached, and that's, of course, where Paul went. Went to where the gospel hadn't been. Basically, that's what he did when he went out on the journey first time. Um, this is all, all the plan of God. Jesus didn't have a kingdom. You know, they thought. He actually did, didn't he? But uh, he didn't write a book. But he actually did, didn't he? (laughs) Um, Why should I believe in Jesus being this one? I mean, you're really going out on a limb here mentioning this person. Jesus comes along. Messiah comes. And he's going to come through David. You know, people start thinking, you know, okay, uh, David's line. David's line will never be frustrated. It'll never cease. It points to that great king. So, um, we have all heard about that promise. We did, uh, of course, a specific verse dealing with it, a couple verses. So, that's the promised uh, Messiah. Then you have a promised messenger. So before the Messiah, just before he is on the scene publicly, we have another one. Of course, we see him in the Gospels, and his name is John the Baptist. And that's a good prophecy there because it's it's in the Old Testament. After John had proclaimed him before his coming, a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel... And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So he goes into the story of John the Baptist, just a couple of verses, but that's saying a lot because this is one who was going to prove also, this is part of the fulfillment, that there would be one. A little excerpts here that we get. We know there are many more verses that could be put in there, but you just fill in a little bit. This is the forerunner to the Messiah. And of course, you're in a synagogue. Most of the people are Jews. The Jews should know about this. Before the Messiah comes, you know about about Him. Matter of fact, it was in their Passover that they would look for one to come. It would be that um, one before the Messiah. Look in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is just before Matthew. Last book of the Old Testament. Right at the end of the Old Testament. The last two verses. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah. Now in their Passover, they have that fifth cup, and it's Elijah's cup. Because they, by Scripture, they knew he would come before the Messiah. So they, they would sit there thinking that He would come someday and they would, He would come right to their table. <laughs> I'm going to send you Elijah. 
And this closes up the Old Testament. 400 years before Christ. The prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. That's interesting. What's the last word that God leaves them with in the revelation in the Old Testament? Curse. Of course, He's the one that can relieve that curse, isn't He? Um, And that's talking about a a destruction. And so, you know, the people would be judged. But the hope there again is the Messiah, and that's really what... uh, every book is pointing to, but he, he uses Elijah there. Or, as you see in the New Testament, they think not only the coming of Elijah, but they they speak of John the Baptist being the Elijah, right? He wasn't Elijah as a reincarnation. He was John the Baptist, but he was like Elijah. And of course, I think Jesus spells that out. But John the Baptist was really to say, Turn from your sin. Prepare your heart to receive the one who's coming. And so the, the people were confessing their sin. They were repenting. They were being baptized. It was like a ceremonial thing. It was like an outward confession showing that this is what we're trying to get our hearts ready for when the Messiah comes. And, and of course, with, within a short amount of time, that, that did happen. So he gets that part in. talks about Jesus. Then he talks about John the Baptist. In verse 26, Brethren, sons of Abraham's family. So he goes back, back to Abraham. Calls them brethren here. I think that's pretty interesting. Showing that, hey, I'm I'm in unity with you here. And those among you who fear God, now that would be the Gentiles. So there were God-fearers, the ones who weren't Jews, but they were intrigued by the religion of Judaism, and maybe they hadn't come all the way over into Judaism, but they um, they liked to be around and, and to hear Scripture. God fears. And it was, so he says, And those among you fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. Right here. You think of Paul and Barnabas. And there they are standing there and it says this good news this salvation message has just come through us they hadn't heard this before and all of a sudden they're speaking it can you can you imagine being in front of the apostle paul <laughs> as he's preaching they don't even know him but yet they're they're probably wowed by all this the way that he's speaking and bringing out old testament passages for those who live in jerusalem and their rulers recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfill these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. So we see the rejection of the prophecies. Promises through Abraham. Promises through David. You have John the Baptist. I mean, he's laying down evidence after evidence. And he, he comes on and brings this, this message to him. 
And they should have known. They had the prophets. And when did they read the prophets? Every Sabbath. They just read them that day. Already it's been read. They would read that. They would read prophecies of the Messiah. So they read the prophets. They were ignorant of the Word of God. They would hear it and hear it, and yet they didn't understand it. They read it without understanding. Remember in John 5, I think verse 39, somewhere there, search the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures, as he's talking to the Pharisees, in which you think you have eternal life. And then he said, and there they which speak or testify of me, if you really knew what you're reading, you would see me. There they are. They're reading this. They've read it for many of them years and years and years, and they have no idea. And Jesus was right there before them. And He had done signs and wonders and miracles, and He had preached the Word of God powerfully. And yet, they read the Word of God and didn't know it. Hmm. So in Psalm 69.4 it says, Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They hated Jesus without a cause. It, yeah, you look at it right here. It says in verse 28, And though they found no ground for putting Him to death. They knew it. You know, They tried to look up uh, people that could get Him on something, you know, blasphemy or whatever. But they, they, didn't, they couldn't find any witnesses. And the witnesses embarrassed themselves. Embarrassed them. But, you know what they're doing the whole time they're crucifying Jesus? Verse 29, look at it. You know, they asked Pilate to be executed. 29, when they had carried out all that was written concerning Him. When they carried it out. You know what's going on there? They, did, they couldn't find a reason to crucify Him, but yet they did it. And you know what they're doing? They're fulfilling prophecy. Amazing. Fulfilling prophecy. One right after the other. You go to Psalm 22, and you get details after details of what was going to happen a thousand years later from um, David. In Psalm 22. How he, was, how he was on the cross there and how he was dying. Quite a wicked act. And so there Paul is bringing this out to these people. Hey, this man Jesus is here. Here's what historically happened back a few years ago, over a decade ago. Here's what happened. Then we get into the triumph. And it's found in verse 30. And you get those two famous words. But God. Ephesians chapter 2 you get all these verses dealing with the depravity of man and then you get into what is it verse 5 something like that but God raised him from the dead and just to show that he really did raise for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people so, first time he's talking to somebody, he gets to the heart of the matter, Jesus. He gets to the death, the burial, and the best part, the very power, the resurrection. And they're hearing this. Can you imagine what they're trying to, to get across here? They've not heard this. 
This is the gospel, isn't it? Death, burial, resurrection. Got to where he was at. And he's then validifying it, saying there were witnesses. Now, to this, this is old hat. You know, it's <laughs> we've heard it for years and years and years and years and years, and we talk about it all the time, every week probably. <laughs> but, if you heard this for the first time, it's going to knock you on your ears. And, and But this is what he's saying. This has got to be grabbing some of their attention, though. They're going, whoa. I mean, he has been using Scripture. So Jesus is the one fulfilled it. This is the great climax of the sermon is where we're at. And, and of course, you, you look at verse 30 and 31 there. We see the keynote. The very chief point of apostolic preaching, which really is the preaching of the gospel, which should be always. Peter had already we uh, preached this same, almost same sermon. Different words, different maybe verses that he's using, but it's still the same thing where it's focusing on it. It's recorded three times in the book of Acts that that Peter had done, and. Um, so, Paul's doing the same thing, isn't he? God raised him. In fact, the greatest proof that Jesus is the Messiah is what? The resurrection. Always remember that. This is the crowning proof. In Romans 1.4 it says, He is declared to be the Son of God with power. What? By the resurrection from the dead. We all know that, but this this is where it's at. And so the proof is there. Of course, we've read Psalm 2 before, and it talks about uh, really the Messiah, and ultimately it's talking about him, his, his day, and which is this resurrection day. Fulfillment of prophecy. The greatest proof, and of course that resurrection, of course you can see it in Isaiah 53. Um, it's all focused. The tomb... The transformation, uh, there be no corruption. Of course, in Psalm 16, that you get David. And even though he would die and be buried, there would be one who would not see corruption and would come out of the tomb. A tr- total transformation. So, uh, let's see, that really takes us up through 37. Let's read... Um, Verse 32, We preach to you the good news, euangelion, of the promise made to the fathers. Remember how he first started this out? The fathers. This was a promise that was made to them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, on down, Samuel, David, through the prophets. That God has fulfilled this promise. It's been done now wasn't fulfilled before, it is now. To our children in that He raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm. You are My Son. Today I have begotten You. Remember when we read Psalm 2 last week? I think before we read that too. And of course, that's the triumph. And God laughs at, at the, uh, you know, the people. He's, you, know, the, you have the scoffers and such and He laughs at them. He's in total control. And of course, right at the heart of that psalm is this Messiah, which he says, Today I have begotten you. And there he's speaking of the resurrection. And so David, you, or, um, Paul uses this. 
as for the fact, you notice that, that he raised him from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That comes out of Isaiah 55. Therefore, he always he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. And that is your Psalm 16. Peter did that in Acts 2 when he delivered that first message in Jerusalem whenever he got to the resurrection and he used this same psalm, this 16. You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, died, was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. So the son of David is one who did not corrupt, resurrected. Now, that takes us up to the next section. And like in this message, what he's saying is, I want you to consider the pardon that is given. But I also want you to consider the warning. So there's the pardon of forgiveness of sin and guilt, or there is judgment. There's this warning. Forgiveness of sin. And Peter had that in his sermon. Remember in Acts 10, you have Cornelius and his family and in that whole household. And he preached about forgiveness of sin. Moses' law couldn't do it, right? It convicts. It kills. But in verse 39, it says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. And that's the Mosaic Covenant. It served its purpose. And it shows that we're all sinners. We can't do what the law demands. It condemns us. It doesn't save. And he says right here, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You can be freed. So, as we've been talking about Galatians so often, here's Paul who wrote Galatians and he's really saying the same thing here in in a shorter way, isn't he? So, forgiveness of sins. Moses couldn't bring it representing the law. All that believe are justified. Justified, declared righteous. Moses, what he did was just cover up with sacrifices. It's like, for that very moment, it was like it was symbolic of what was going to happen later with the Messiah, but that was to to cover their sins until that time, but it really never took away sins. And as soon as you probably walked out of there, now you have sins again. So it dealt with the past sins, but it couldn't take care of the present or the future sins. And only Christ's sacrifice can. And so I think that's a fantastic good news. Um, You know, I like in Colossians where it says He has forgiven all your trespasses. And then in that next verse it says that the debt of sin was what? Nailed to the cross. You are forgiven all your trespasses. Right? How many of my sins that are in the future Christ already has died for? 
All of them. Matter of fact, every one of them. It was like they were all in a list nailed to the cross. That's good to know, isn't it? Even sins that we don't even know what we're going to do. Not giving us credence to, to sin, but... Now, I think in a in a real classic fashion, what he's going to do is close with an in, invitation here. They've gotten it all out, and here you have forgiveness. But you're also going to have judgment, and he and he pours this out, and he gives us a beware in verse forty. Therefore, take heed. Why? So that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you spoken of in the prophets. Well, most of the time when you look in the prophets, deep, dark judgment. Most of the chapters, but you always get God's grace and forgiveness in those. But many of the verses will be dealing with judgment in all of those prophet books. Curse. Exactly. Beware. So now, how would you like to be part of that crowd? And you hear this good news, you hear forgiveness, but it's like, well, if you don't take this to heart, then look at the judgment that is coming. And that's the way it always is. It either leaves us with the grace of God, being freed from sin and guilt, right? Or it's judgment. It's one or the other. There's nothing in between. And Paul does not give them that choice there. There's nothing in between there that they can go. It's kind of like walking into a church and telling them they don't have to do those things they used to do. They're not free. Yeah. Not to do those. They should be taken care of. Yeah. It's Christ who's done it. Therefore take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Then he quotes, Behold you scoffers and marvel and perish For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Wow. So now, it's like he hits them right on the head. And that comes right out of Habakkuk. Minor prophet. Boy, Paul is just pulling out these magnificent verses as he's expositing Jesus Christ. Habakkuk is asking, why, God, how long are you you going to let the people go here and doing what they're doing, all the violence and the iniquity and wickedness and destruction and strife, and people are not paying attention to the law, and there's no justice here, and the the, the wicked are here, and, and they're all perverted. How long are you going to keep putting up with this, God? <laughs> Just like today, right? We were in Habakkuk not too long ago. Oh, was it? That was two years ago. <laughs> because it was a fall that we were in, and we were over at the other building. We were here last fall, weren't we? Two years. Look among the nations. Remember this? He, he, God is speaking now. He says, okay, Habakkuk. He's eventually going to answer Habakkuk. Habakkuk's not expecting the kind of answers God's going to give him, though. That sounds like me don't always get the kind of answer that I would like. Look among the nations. Look among the nations. Look out there. Observe. Check them out. Examine. Be astonished. 
wonder. I mean, there are exclamation points all over the place here in, in my Bible. They were there already. Because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if you were told. <laughs> and you know what the rest of it is? I'm going to take the worst nation in the world, the big empire. I'm going to take the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. I'm going to bring them on you and bring judgment on you. Now, Bacchus is saying, why don't you judge our nation? Why are you letting them get away with this, God? But he doesn't get the idea of bringing on the enemy and coming in there and putting the whoop on them. <laughs> I mean... That's theological term. <laughs> uh, whoop them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's in, and it's one of those systematic theologies somewhere. <laughs> Lack of vocabulary there is what I use. <laughs> uh, they're fierce, impetuous people. Everybody knew about them. Everybody hated them. Surely God wouldn't do that. And now Habakkuk has some more questions to ask God. You know, But this is the first one, and, and he says, Hey, you look out there. I'm doing something that you're not going to believe. Of course, he's going to wind up judging Babylon too. But you're not going to believe it if, if you're told this. And at first, I don't think Habakkuk does. So. <laughs> yeah. He sent the Chaldeans. He sacked Jerusalem and pulled them off to, to Babylon. Wiped out, really, the nation. Except for some they took back. You better beware lest what God did back there, this, that's the passage they took, and they would know that. They would know what that meant. They were, those Jews would know that. God's going to work a judgment. If you don't trust in this Jesus, the only alternative is to be judged like the nation of Israel was judged by Babylon. Wow, Paul, oh, really? Well, we can look. We can look through Isaiah. We can look through Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Which ones do you want to look at? Well, lack of time. We'll move on. But we know that's all over the place. It's judgment, judgment, judgment. That's why people don't like the Old Testament. Don't understand the Old Testament because of a lot of judgment there. But I can tell you, the gospel is found in those same prophecy books. As a matter of fact, you get the Messiah in Isaiah which 39 chapters. Yeah, 39. First 39 really are dealing with all judgment. It's kind of interesting. How many Old Testament books are there? 39. And I'm not even trying to push anything here because the Jews might divide up the books different and some other people do. But it's, I just, it's, it's easy for me to remember that way if it's worth anything. The other 27 are, you have the New Testament. So Isaiah has 66 books. <laughs> 39 and 27. It helps you to remember how many books are in uh, each testament, if nothing else. Okay, I'm not trying to push anything. But, but in those 27 chapters in from there on, starting at uh, chapter 40 through 66, you get good news. There's some still judgment passages in there, but uh, we get really good news in the Messiah. And of course, Isaiah 53 is, is the... the the real point, the focus. Well, what about the response? 42 through 52, that's what we get. On your outline, you'll see that.
letter I. As Paul and Barnabas, can you imagine? These are giants of the faith. Those people don't even know who they had there in front of them at this time. (laughs) Paul and Barnabas were going out. The people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. I mean, he really has got them. Now, they're not getting any really negative reaction right now. I mean, their, their brains are trying to click here. What, what did we just hear? This is amazing. I've got to hear more about this. So they want to hear more the next Sabbath. That's why I say within about a week, things are really going to happen. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, and I can imagine after they were done at the synagogue, I've got a feeling people just didn't file out of there real quick. I imagine they hung around for a long time. You would think. Many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes, the converts of the Gentiles, followed Paul and Barnabas. They're not going to let them go. Who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Paul and Barnabas are saying, okay, now... Continue in the grace of God. It's not necessarily saying they are saved there. You say, well, they have the grace of God. But it's, it's a continue. If you continue in this, if you abide in my word, if you continue in my word, you are my, what? Disciples. You show that you're disciples by continuing in the faith. Continuing, continuing in the grace. So that's probably what is being meant there. Um, fantastic thing. This is great. I'd be hooting and hollering. This is great. Fantastic. They can't wait till I come back next week and, and Barnabas and, and we get to teach more. I'm sure throughout the week there were people they ran into. I'm sure they just didn't stop and wait till the Sabbath. But we don't get that luxury to say anything about that because next verse 44 takes us right into the next week. The next Sabbath, look at this, near the, nearly the whole city Assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know how many that is. Pisidian Antioch is a huge city. And there's no way that you can get literally tens and tens and tens of thousands into this synagogue. But it means a lot of people show up. This place was packed. And yeah, there's probably people outside who can't get in. You know, you've heard of these things where people, you have big crowds. I've seen it. I've, you've been a part of it. I've been a part of it. There's big crowds. And you have a week, two weeks of it, three weeks. Or, you know, I used to start a Bible study way back when. And I don't even know if any of you guys were even a part of that when we very first started in town at the Bible study there. And we did something to get people going. And of all things, it was, it was purpose-driven life. Purpose-driven life, you know, by Rick Warren, and but we didn't really do that book. It's really it was about God's purpose, <laughs> but we kind of worked that. And people came out, and it's funny. The second week there were a little bit less people. Well, actually, they, there, there were more people invited. By the third, by the fourth week, all of a sudden it started really receding out. So we are focusing on the sovereignty of God. Can you imagine that? And it lost interest. And it just kind of like filtered out. And of course, then later as that, that developed, I think um, uh, Janice and Eldon were, came in, then 
shortly after that time, I believe. I don't think you were in at that time. I don't think you even knew that we even did anything. But that's kind of how that started there. It came from our house, and, and uh, we did that. Yeah, that's that's the best place to remember there, isn't it? <laughs> we were still in Romans. Yeah. yeah. And if we don't move on, we're going to be in Acts just as long. <laughs> that's right. Now, yeah, this next Sabbath, huge crowd. And what are they assembled? To hear the word of the Lord. What more could you want? Things are going great. But you have that word, but. This time it's not but God. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they haven't had crowds like this. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled, not with the Holy Spirit, filled, controlled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul. That means, in a a tense, that they just didn't do it a little bit and then stop. They kept on going. They interrupted. They just... Whatever thing was happening, they stopped. And they came in there just contradicting everything that he was speaking. And then what's even worse is what is it they say they were doing there? Blaspheming. Man, this is just fantastic. He knocked Paul by, by this sermon, knocked the people for a loop. They're, they're all pleased with what they had heard. And um, even the Jews at that time, that first week, and can you tell us more about this? And of course, he had exalted the Messiah. And of course, they persisted that uh, you know he'd come back next week, and they're all following him like he's the Pied Piper. Paul and Barnabas are the Pied Pipers. People following. It's a whole trail of Jews and the, the proselytes, the God fears. Seems like you have a revival here, and you do actually. Um, Holy Spirit's moving around probably all through the week with Paul and Barnabas. And you turn those guys loose in any town and you're going to get some things stirred up. (laughs) Things are getting stirred up. And the split came just as fast. And, uh, you know, these prejudiced Jews, they're infuriated. They're so jealous. So they close their minds and they just slam things shut right there. Things were really happening. They spoke against the things which were spoken by Paul, really contradicting. They were uh, almost like in a riot there in, in their opposition. They're just firing away at Paul and Barnabas. They went a step further, and it's the worst sin. It's called blasphemy. And, of course, in Jerusalem, we know that same kind of thing actually happened. It's a sin of speaking evil of God, Christ. They did it. They blasted God. They blasted Christ. That's the idea. So, we see in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. Look at this. They're not afraid of anyone. They don't know these people and now they're starting to get to know what's going on. They got things stirred up and they just grew bolder. And, you know, with this almost like a riot happening, 
you'd think, eh, Barnabas, maybe we better get out of town. Well, they won't have to worry about getting out of town. They, they will be ridden out by that. They just have to just stay there and keep proclaiming the Word. But it was necessary that the Word of God should first have been spoken to you, you Jews, and then to the Gentiles. Well, here it was. Paul Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Wow. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Seems like he does that everywhere he goes. Jews are having fits. And here you have this. They're not, they're not afraid. They pronounce the sentence on them. He says, you're, you're actually judging yourselves. Just to think of this, let's illustrate this with an illustration. He's given them all the Scripture that they needed. The Scriptures they knew. They knew so well. And He pointed out and said, that one has been here. And He proved it by the resurrection. What else do you want? Well, if you took one to France and you showed the Mona Lisa to somebody, okay, everybody knows about the Mona Lisa. And then somebody says, oh, that's just lousy art. You know what? They're not making the judgment. The judgment has already been made that that is a classic. That's a masterpiece, right? The judgment has already been made. So they don't make that judgment. You don't, you know, you don't put the Mona Lisa on trial. You are on trial <laughs> if, if one did that way. So that's, that's kind of the, the thought here. That's, that's what's happened. The Jews were just having fits. The Gentiles are getting saved. And here we go. Verse 47. For the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light, you Jews, I placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Well, they're doing it with the likes of Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, the rest of the apostles. They're all doing it. They're going everywhere. They will be going places. And uh, that's God said it was going to happen. The Lord commanded us to do that. And it's going to go to the Gentiles and already has. We've, we've been at Antioch. We're here at Pisidian Antioch. And um, God's bringing salvation all the way out here now. All the way into Asia Minor. And here we go into what I think is just a tremendous verse for the doctrine of election. Whenever I saw this verse, I had seen it many times, but it never dawned on me what it meant. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. Well, I guess. And glorifying the Word of the Lord. There's there's this focus, isn't it? The Word of the Lord. And here we go. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word uh, is related to the word tasso, tato magani, means to inscribe or to enroll. It means to make out a list. A list. And what's it saying? That as many as were put on that list for eternal life 
were saved at that moment that heard the word. Of course, you think of um, for the foundation of the world in the book of Revelation, what, what was written? It says elect. Elect's names. As many as were put on that list for eternal life, those were the ones that believed right there at that time. If a man dies without Christ, it's actually his own fault. Now, this is where it gets really tricky in our human thinking. He is judged because of his sin. It's his fault. He is held accountable for that. Man is. If anyone is saved, God gets all the credit because He elected you before the foundation of the world. So when you are saved, God gets all the credit. If one is lost, He gets all the blame. Human mind tries to understand it. And it comes down to this. You just have to believe it. Because God's mind definitely works a lot bigger than what our little puny mind is. As many as were written on that roll believed. Everybody who disbelieved, they are pronouncing a sentence upon themselves. Great verse, isn't it? That 1348 just jumps out at you. And there is Paul already preaching the doctrine of election right in that sermon. I am sure (laughs) that if some Jews heard that one, they were really mad. Matter of fact, they would love to kill him, I would imagine. Then verse 49, first of all, we get multiplied contacts out of this. We get, we get pros and cons again here. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Praise the Lord. Right? Isn't that great? The word of God is being spread throughout everywhere there. Word of the Lord it is. Praise God. You know what? You know what follows legitimate salvation? Evangelism. You know, one of the things that we need are some brand new people who have just been saved. Because I'll tell you what happens. What they do is they're more likely to do evangelism than we are. That's sad to say. But I can tell you why. They're so excited. This has just happened to them. They don't, they don't know what might even happen. They don't really care. Here's what happened. They go and tell people. And they start bringing in people. Well, that verse is coming up here too. <laughs> it, and, and that's what we're getting at. Remember when we talk, first started this mess, message here tonight? It's going to be one or two ways. It'll always be those two. Either people will reject this news or they'll think it's the best thing that has ever happened. Better than sliced bread. Don't give up. Keep yeah. keep knowing that um, you know we we have a message to give. But if you notice the electricity that happens when you have somebody that's a little more fresher and that's why I want to keep praying for Avil because I don't know how long he's been a Christian I need to talk with him more just get the opportunity he's a working man and he has a schedule that's really hard Bob knows that schedule (laughs) but um, you guys are staying in contact we want to stay in contact I think he really likes 
they like being here, him and his wife. And the reason I keep saying electricity, he loves to get just anybody together and they start opening the Bible up. And he does that at work. And I, and I think that he just he goes to the lost and, and gives it out all the time. And when you have somebody like that, it's amazing how it spreads to uh, us, but also all of a sudden they start inviting people. People we don't even know that can also hear the gospel and get charged up. That's what my prayer would be. That we get somebody like him to stay and to stay with us that can get some things going on on another side. That's why, you know, as we get older, sometimes we kind of just kind of get mulling in our ways and, you know, it's like it's, it's good to, to get charged up a little bit yeah, and to hear this. Yep. Yep, we're um, we're definitely past twenty one, aren't we? Well <laughs> verse forty four, word of God. Verse forty six, word of God. Verse forty nine, word of God, word of the Lord. And what you get, and what we're wrapping this up here, you see the great things are happening? Verse fifty. Here's the negative. Or so it seems. But and here we go, but the Jews the word was, and the word of the Lord here, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city. And you know what? I read a comment there, and I think it, it's fascinating. It said the devout women, uh, ones who might have been Gentiles, they're honorable women, maybe pagan women. Judaism had a really good effect on them because they saw how the, the family was being distraught, the unity of the family and such. And it's beginning to fall apart. And Judaism had an answer to that. And they were all about family. And they, they became attached to Judaism. So a lot of those Gentiles were being converted into Judaism. They had high ethics. They were honorable. They were devout women. And one author said this, and I think it's fascinating in the sense that these might have been wives of husbands who were leaders of the city. Or it says they were prominent, the leading men of the city, the leaders, and they had maybe the the, the women become God fears, and even now the men. So the Jews went to the Gentile women. Do you notice that first? The Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city. You know what? Who you can get to? You can get to the women. And then they get to the men. Yeah, just watch uh, Andy Griffith's show sometimes. It's usually the way it works. <laughs> really? When women get stirred up and the men follow them That's right. Well, you got the chief men and these prominent women there who probably got the, the, the bees going. Second yeah. um, Corinthians 11, you could probably read about maybe what happened here. But uh, we see that they instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Well, that's not surprising, is it? So it was the Jews that got them going, and so it didn't take much. And uh, they get expelled out of the, the city. They drove them out of their district. Drove them out. Kicked them out of the city. Christians got kicked out of the city. Shouldn't be surprising. 
shake off the dust of your feet, leave that town. That's what Jews are supposed to do if they were in Gentiles and they didn't accept them and such. Well, this time it's this. He meant treat those Jews like they were Gentiles. It goes the other way around. They shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. They said, okay. And so they went to Iconium. But it ends up on a great note. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't be surprised. So they left two different groups there. God saw some as pagans, and then God filled the others with the Holy Spirit. That's what you have. As Paul and Barnabas go off, now you have people who have heard the Gospel and so, what's going to happen next week at the synagogue? doesn't say, does it? Mm. Well, you either live life separated from God with that same gospel, the same gospel we preach. You either live a life that's separated from God or you have knowledge of God and you live by His grace. You live with God's Holy Spirit who resides inside you. There's no middle ground. Pardon. Oh, are you done? That's it. Okay. That's what he gets to verse 48. Our sins have been in the book. He said, many come to this text and try to skip over it, but try to change it to read as many as believe God appointed to eternal life. Oh. Well, that doesn't do justice to what that is. Makes me wonder what the Catholic Bible says here. Don't have one here, do we? I don't have one anymore either. <laughs> you guys have your iPhones, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I found out that they walked in there and there were Jewish people and there were Gentile people. They left and the Jewish people became Gentile and Christians. That became a different division in that area. Yep. They became the blessed ones now. Quite a turnaround, wasn't it? Yeah. Of course, there were still. Of course, the, the Gentiles had helped the Jews, you know, persecute them. But there were many who believed there too. So rejoicing, glorifying the Lord, though, and that's what happens with the gospel, and it's always, always that way. It uh, not everybody is going to you know, be saved out of it. But anyway, thank you guys for coming out. That's a long chapter, but. Let's use that as a model as as we teach the gospel to people. It doesn't have to be the, all the same ones. It depends on who you're dealing with and whether you know uh, he's speaking to Jewish people. But at the same time, it, it always comes down to the death, burial, and resurrection, and then the meaning of that. You know, trusting in Christ, or are you going to stay in, in in judgment? Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Your word was proclaimed by Paul and we keep seeing the word of God was right at the top uh, of everything here that um, proclaimed the Messiah the very one who was anointed to be the king of this kingdom the kingdom has been bought thank you Lord for letting us be in it and thank you for appointing us to eternal life in Jesus name Amen Amen